Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Hello there, everybody. My name is Mike Heck, and hope you're not sick of me yet. And welcome to the UFC on ESPN 9 post-fight show, live right here on MAFighting.com, virtually alongside Alex K. Lee. We've rearranged things here for the post-fight show. It was Jose, and now Alex and I are in together now. So we got two Limp Biscuit references, and hopefully the only two within the first minute. But Alex, let's get right into this thing. First question, overall thoughts on this return to Las Vegas for the UFC from start to finish. What would be your letter grade, Professor? First of all, uh, 16 million copies worldwide. Limp Biscuit, significant other. All right, 16 million <laughs> copies. That people used to buy albums, kids. Uh, this was a long time ago. Uh, but yes, to talk about the card tonight, uh, it, it was really good. I mean, it was. I know uh, it, people will look at the co-main event and maybe take that one fight, and, which was somewhat lackluster. And because it's happened near the end, it's going to maybe drag the overall letter grade down. But I did not think. It took away that much uh, from the rest of the card. Uh, it wasn't even like a horrible fight. It just was uneventful, especially compared to some of the other action we saw. Because we saw at least three fights that were like worthy of uh, a fight of the night candidacy. We saw a ton of finishes. Um, def- probably benefited by the smaller cage. I know a lot of people predicted that uh, we'd have the smaller cage tonight, that there would be that kind of uh, conclusion to fights. And they were, they were right. Uh, it, it was certainly created more, seemed to create more action. So overall, letter grade, man, I'm, I, I'm feeling generous tonight. I'm going a strong, uh, strong A minus. I feel wow. really good about the, yeah. I'm good. I'm good with an A minus. I'm gonna piggyback off that A minus. I was gonna say B plus, maybe A minus, and I thought you were gonna say B plus. So I was gonna take the shine with the A minus, but I'm 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 right here with you, Alex Kaylee. And for those watching right now, I want to remind you, please shout out comments, reactions, questions for this wild event because we want to hear from you. I've been talking more than enough this week, but AK, let us hear from you, kind sir, a little bit more. Let's start with the main event of the evening: Gilbert Durino Burns putting on the performance of a lifetime. Dominates Tyron Woodley from start to finish. This guy was one of my biggest questions heading into this card. Tyron Woodley's probably a little bit higher on that list, but Gilbert Durino Burns, my question was, is this guy the real deal? Can he contend for and, and compete for a world title? And man, can he ever. This guy answered all the questions. He's a legit threat to, threat to everybody at 170 pounds right now. Your reaction, AK, to Gilbert Burns's coming out party to the top five of this welterweight division? Yeah, I mean, look, a lot of the talk is going to be about Woodley's performance, much like it was in in the Usman fight, uh, Woodley's last fight, how he kind of underperformed, you know. But let's, of course, first give the credit to Gilbert Burns. Um, this is a guy on the rise who I think a lot of people wanted to get behind, but there was some hesitancy of, of you know, can he can he beat a guy like Woodley? You know, the, the Maya fight proved a lot, 
but you know, Maya is an older fighter. Uh, Woodley's up there too. I know he's 38 years old, uh, turned 38, I think in April. So there, so, but he was still, he's still very much viewed by a lot of people as being, you know, near his prime, especially since we only saw him lose once uh, in Usman after winning the title. And, uh, and also he had kind of a late prime. I mean, um, Woodley's prime really started around maybe 33, 32, 33. So it's kind of weird to just say, you know, a guy has a five, five or six years and then he's, he's out, but um, that is how the fight game is sometimes. But yeah, I think a lot of perceived Woodley still as being the number one contender, the former champion coming off his first loss in so many years. Um, so this was a big thing for for Burns to prove himself. And Burns looked exactly like the most optimistic projections of Burns that you could have. Uh, the the stand up power, you know, for a guy who like his his striking is always developing, and he always has that he has that great raw power. Man, that was there. You know, he dropped Woodley early. There's a couple of times in the fight where luckily like he might finish him. Uh, the grappling, of course, he's known as being a Brazilian uh, jiu jitsu artist, and the grappling was there. He had a beautiful takedown in the second round, uh, and he just he just beat Woodley in every every aspect of the game. It was really sensational, and uh, you just throw this guy right in there amongst the top three or four contenders uh, in the welterweight division right now. Joseph Boza says that. Reminded everybody that Willie has been out for had been out for 15 months heading into that fight, um, and he says that Gilbert Burns should fight for the belt next. Um, we'll get into that momentarily because he looked tremendous. He hurt Woodley on the feet right away, left that nasty cut over his eye, dominated on the ground. I mean, legit everywhere he dominated this fight. It was a huge win for him. So, like Joseph just sort of said, let's play the matchmaker game, Alex. Where does Gilbert Burns go after that incredible performance? Because if it were up to him, he'd fight tomorrow. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Would. He, he probably wants to fight. Definitely. He's probably sad he's missing out on the pay-per-view next week, right? Um, before, we, I do want to say something about, we mentioned the long break for Woodley. I actually thought that it would benefit him. Uh, I was of the camp that thought maybe he, because he had defended his title uh, quite a few times. He, I think he had the longest active uh, title defense streak for a while there, which was only like four. Guys just don't have long runs anymore. Um, and I thought he was burnt out. And I thought that the break would do him good. Maybe it did. I mean, I, well, I'm sure we'll talk about some of his comments after. It didn't sound like he didn't sound too um, deflated by his own performance, even though, you know, he lost the fight. But, uh, yeah, I thought the break would do him good. Um, not good enough, apparently, to beat uh, Burns. Uh, Burns now, like I said, he's among the top three or four guys. you got to throw him in that mix. There's certainly some talk of maybe you match him up with Leon Edwards. Maybe we do a Fight Island thing. I, I don't know, because, you know, Leon is an international fighter. They're certainly looking for big fights for Fight Island whenever that gets rolling. But I also like, of course, the uh, Colby Covington talk. I don't know how much he's on Colby Covington's radar. I know Colby keeps calling him Dilbert, which is just hilarious. Uh, but it would be a great fight. I think it, it very beneficial to both guys. Burns, you can sell that storyline of, hey, you know, this guy still was running down Brazilians, and then he beat Dos Anjos, he beat Maya. This is my chance to avenge those losses. Uh, I want to fight Colby Covington. But uh, he said afterwards he is set on his teammate, Kamar Usman. I love the idea of Burns versus Leon Edwards next on Fight Island. I think that makes all the sense in the world. I mean, Leon was supposed to fight Tyron, and now Gilbert has just sort of eclipse that at this point so I, I think that's a great fight i think it's a great matchup and that'd be a a legit number one contender fight if we're being honest here and you know gilbert's gonna be ready for july so fight island makes sense but he'll be ready for tomorrow or next weekend at ufc 250 if he's needed but i think the edwards fight is the one that makes a lot of sense for me but who knows alex like you just said he's got a lot of options wonder boy that'd be an interesting fight because wonder boy's top five guy i'd like to see the covington fight not sure if that happens or not because he didn't want to fight a, a nerd named Dilbert, like you said on his uh, his uh, betting prediction video that he put out on Instagram. But uh, that would be a fun fight. But a lot of options for Gilbert Burns right now. That's what happens when you go on these streaks. 
like he's on and 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 show up in big spots. But Tyron Woodley, he's a more interesting question in my opinion right now. I asked Jose this question during the live post-fight press conference live stream we did moments ago. He said Robbie Lawler makes all the sense in the world to rebook that fight since they tried to do it last year. But where does Tyron Woodley go after being dominated for 50 straight minutes in his last two fights? It's a shame that, uh, you know, an injury did knock Woodley out of uh, the Lawler rematch, which was supposed to happen, I think, last year. If I, if I were, It was a UFC on ESPN card last year. or maybe Yeah, I believe it was supposed to happen last year. The Minneapolis year. card. Because yeah, the Minneapolis card, because it really was the, the perfect matchup for him. It, it made a lot of sense. Um, it's, a, it's a fight that, uh, you know, he's very proud of beating Robbie the first time. But Robbie, of course, has always wanted that rematch. And fans of Lawler uh, really wanted to see him try and get that W back against Woodley. It made sense for where they were at their, in their careers. Uh, it's a shame that one didn't happen because uh, I think, again, Woodley would have had a good chance of beating him again. Instead, uh, he found himself in a very, very tough fight against a guy who had a lot more to gain from beating him than Woodley did uh you know, the other way around. Um, another thing, I, you know, I keep dissecting Woodley's performance, but one thing that really struck out to me, because uh, I, I really bought into the whole, uh, he said he was depressed, you know, after the Usman loss. And, you know, the fight itself, he also looked not there, you know, so he, he said how bad, how bad he felt he looked in that fight. I bought into that. I should have also listened to what he said earlier this week, which was not a good thing when he said, uh, he was, he, he told ESPN, he wasn't really motivated to beat Gilbert Burns. He was motivated to fight again. He was motivated to win again. But there was a little bit of disrespect to Burns there. He said, like, you know, Burns is not a Nick Diaz. You know, Burns is not a is not the kind of championship fighter he's used to. And I feel like that kind of thing uh, came back to bite him. I was, and, I, and, and I really should have put more uh, credit in that when I was making my fight pick. <laughs> uh, we got a couple comments. Let's see. Uh, Edgy Bra, Woodley versus Colby. Still want sure. to see it. Yes, absolutely. That that's a fight the UFC has to consider. Uh, if Woodley is uh, planning to continue his career, which by all accounts it sounds like he is, that fight will always be here. You could be two straight losses for Woodley, three straight losses for Woodley. People want to see this business with him and Colby Covington resolved. Just make it happen. It, it's like with uh, I think remember when Matt Hughes and Matt Sarah fought way after they did the Ultimate Fighter. A bunch of other stuff had happened. It was still a fight with with a lot of heat behind it, and I think this could be even even bigger than that fight was when that fight finally happened. CT Spivey, Woodley should rematch Lawler. I think that's a good fight. I did see a comment, Burns versus Masvidal. I would be shocked if that fight happens. I'd like to, I'd love to see how it, I'd love to see it. I just don't think it happens right now, especially with Masvidal being so close to, to a title fight. There's the, the Nate Diaz rematch that's being discussed for the BMF. That'd be huge. Get better guess. I just saw what, what the hell's going on here? He's just joking. <laughs> He said more Limp Biscuit talk. That's why Woodley should fight RDA. <laughs> I like that fight. I think that fight makes a makes a ton of sense. The RDA fight, Michael Chiesa. That's an interesting matchup. Um, I mean, I'd love to see Colby. If we could do Colby, the heat there will almost make people forget what happened in these last two fights for Woodley. The build up to that fight, it would be part of the story, but it would be it would not be at the forefront at all. It'd be the trash talk between these two guys and and this personal rivalry just being settled once and for all. I think we should have had this fight a bunch of times already. And we, for some reason, we still haven't had it. People probably think that the opportunity has been missed here, but uh, I don't, but yeah, I don't I, think that's, we'll see. Look, I don't know how much Woodley has left, but like I said, he seems to be motivated still and still wants to fight again. So I wish more top level fighters would get to rebuild their career. Um, their resume is kind of like Alistair Overeem. Now, Alistair Overeem was not a UFC champion, but I mean, he's been at the top of heavyweight for so long. He's won world championships and other promotions. If you look at his resume, he'll lose fights and then he'll get two fights against, you know, maybe not 
top 10 guys, but just against other people who are, who are either on the way up. And this is something the UFC doesn't do, whether it's because they don't want to, or again, maybe the fighters don't agree to these fights, but I would like to see them, you know, a lot more fighters be willing to go back a few rungs down the ladder and fight other guys and get one or two wins back. And then you get another, you know, high level fight. I know there's only so many years these guys have. There's only so many fights they have on their careers. Um, and, uh, and again, the compensation might not be where they want to be. So it might not make sense for them. But I wish more people could go that ovarian path and keep kind of scraping and clawing their way back up the mountain over and over again. I mean, I, the, another reason why I like the Colby fight, not just because of the personal rivalry. and We love that stuff. But if if Tyron is, is to overcome this adversity and get motivated again. Colby's the fight that's going to do it for him. I mean, he's not getting a title shot. I mean, sure. I'm sure that might motivate him a little bit, but the Colby fight would get him more motivated than any other one. And then we would get the answers to all of these questions. But, uh, he's just, as another commenter said, there's just something about him being so gun shy. He's been like this for a while now. I just don't know. Like beginning of the second round, I thought the tides, or I don't say, I want to say they were, they were turning, but Tyron came out, much more aggressive. He's throwing combinations. He was charging. And then Gilbert had that perfectly timed takedown in the second round. And, and that, uh, that made things crazy. Uh, Coupe de Grasse, Woodley versus Pettis might be good too, but these guys are uh, they, teammates. Saying, they might way. be buddies. Yeah. Through Rufus sports. So I don't know if that fight's going to, would happen on paper. Sure. It'd be cool, but I uh, don't think they have any interest in that. So, so another case, uh, one that I mentioned to Jose wasn't at the top of my list, but I just threw it out there because it would be a main event fight for a fight night card. What about Woodley versus Cerrone? Oh, that'd be great. Yeah, again, uh, th- these are these are fights that that's exactly actually what I was talking about before, like with the overfitting. That's that's the kind of fights I wish guys would consider. I know they're dangerous opponents, and again, the money certainly matters. So if you're Woodley, you have to ask yourself, is it worth my money and my time and the amount of fights I have left to fight a guy like Cerrone? So you know, again, a lot of factors go into it. I, I don't want to criticize him if that fight came up and he didn't take it, but uh, I know we have to move on. We've t- we've picked apart this fight so much but i will say I, I actually very much agree with your point of it was surprising how timid he was and the commentators were pointing out uh and i think the third or fourth round how easily woodley was just giving up ground in the octagon he would walk himself over to the fence um and again that's you know i guess when you get hit by gilbert burns i would be running away too but um for a fighter of woodley's level it was surprising he couldn't find another way to approach as opposed to just giving up ground uh, and letting burns really dictate where the fight went I'll tell you who the real MVP of that fight was. Tyron Woodley's cut man in the first round because that thing was bleeding like crazy throughout that first round, and I don't think it bled again. Like, I didn't see it bleed again. That, that guy did a great job, and that was a gnarly cut, too, above his left eye. That thing was was deep. But Unsung heroes. Unsung yes. heroes. Might have a stitch 2.0 here, but uh, let's get to the co-main event. Augusto Sakai gets a victory over Bogoy Ivanov via split decision. By the way, we talked about MVP being the cut man. The non-MVP, the complete opposite of MVP, the LVP, was the judge who scored the fight 30 to 27 for <laughs> for Ivanov. That was that was the worst scorecard of the night by far. But Augusto Sakai gets a huge win. He's won six in a row now. Big win on the contender series, unbeaten in the UFC. Thoughts on Augusto Sakai's victory and where he may go from here? Alex? Yeah, look, I, I mean, I think Augusto Sakai is pretty good. I know, I know the uh, Andre Arlovsky. This is his second split decision win in the UFC. I know the Arlovsky win wasn't very convincing. Who knows? That may be a robbery review topic sometime in the future. Uh, but I remember, I do remember. I think um, I may have scored it for Arlovsky, but I didn't think it was like a big uh, travesty or anything. It, it, it wasn't like Arlovsky dominated him. I thought maybe he won the fight, but it wasn't the worst thing. Outside of that, he has again split decision tonight. And then uh, two knockout victories. He looked really, really good against uh, Marcin Tabur, who's a really tough guy to finish. And um, 
Sakai took him out in less than a minute. So uh, good stuff there. And uh, I like him. I, I actually, and I don't even think his performance was that bad tonight. I know it wasn't super exciting. Um, I know it seemed like he just he just couldn't quite finish off some of those combinations. He kept throwing this head kick that wasn't hitting anything. It wasn't even coming close. Um, but I thought he looked pretty good against a guy like Ivanov, who's super tough, uh, as we all know, both inside and outside the cage, if people know his story. Um, and also really technical. I mean, he was hitting Sakai a lot. It's not like Sakai could just like wade in there and, and throw haymakers. He had to be really smart. Otherwise, he was he was going to get knocked out. So I actually think Sakai is better than people think. I know... The style isn't always thrilling, but um, 4-0 in the UFC is pretty good. Uh, I don't know if he quite cracks the uh, UFC's official top 10. He was 13 going to this fight, but he's pretty close. He's at least, as he, he's wanted, uh, he's at least earned a top 10 opponent. I would agree with that. Um, I saw Big Ben being thrown out there as a possible opponent. I feel like Big Ben's thrown in all these heavyweight things because it, it makes sense for everybody. But if we're going to go top 10, and I know that Maybe this is too soon to even suggest this, but, you know, that was a three-round fight. Maybe Walt Harris, when he's ready to come back. Like, I feel like that's that's a good step for both guys. I, mean, I think Walt Harris is ranked number nine right now. So, and then uh, Sakai will probably be, like, number 12. Uh, if we're talking about, like, rankings just one by one, I think Shamil Abdurahimov is ranked 11. So, that'd be, but then logistically, it's kind of crazy. But uh, I think Sakai deserves a top 10 fight. He's very fortunate and lucky that the referee did not take a point away for that fence grab. That was crazy. That was the crate. I mean, that was so. Th- 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 nobody missed that. I'm, he's so lucky he got the win. That should have been a draw. <laughs> uh, you know, Michael, you have to be good to be lucky and uh, lucky to be good. Uh, yes, it should have been a majority draw because that would have made it 28 uh, 28, I believe, the two Sakais. And then uh, 20, 30, 26 on the uh, one Georgia scorecard, which, yes, would have been a, a majority draw. Um, uh, but uh, look, uh, again, luck, these things happen in fights. Blatant grab. Uh, the sad thing is, even if the referee had addressed it, he probably would not have taken a point away. Uh, they usually don't. Uh, I, I think fence grabs that prevent a takedown should either one be instant uh, instant point taken away, or you give the you know the fighter attempting the takedown the position, or both the point and position, which would be amazing, because um, I think you really do need to deter takedowns. Uh, I did want to say the I did I have the name and shame the judge. His name is uh, who get to 30, 27, uh, even of that is uh, Michael Bell, who uh, actually has done quite a few cards. He is a, he is a veteran of uh, UFC and Bell tour judging. So no excuses here. I don't know where Michael Bell came from, but uh, I don't know where his head was at uh, in tonight's fight because it was not a 30, 27 fight for even Yeah. The other suggestion I saw, which I knew was coming at some point, was Alexi Olenek. I feel like Big Ben and Alexi Olenek are the two guys that get thrown in all this. And that's why we need to... Uh, Put these guys together anyways, Big Ben and Alexi. Uh, Nick says Blagoy versus OSP. Heavyweight OSP? That'd be a wild fight. Oh, yeah. I'm into that. Yeah. That'd be a very technical fight. I'm into anything at heavyweight. It's heavyweight. It's why? Yeah. I mean, OSP (laughs) was 240 freaking pounds on the scale for his heavyweight fight. So stick around. That'd be fun. I'd be down for that. Although he just lost to Big Ben, who's not in the top 15. So... Look, until, be we, fun fight. until we sort out this this uh, Miocic Cormier Ngannou situation, <laughs> really it doesn't really the, the you're just mashing together the, the the pieces from four from like four to 15, 20 rankings. There's not that much of a gap between them. I hate to say you just kind of got to mash them together. A lot of fun, a lot of potentially fun matchups. I like chaos. Let's just keep doing what we're doing right now. But uh, speaking of chaos, let's talk bonuses, Alex. Let's talk those. FD, extra $50,000. Dana White announces at the post-fight press conference that Mackenzie Dern and Gilbert Burns won the performance bonuses. And 
there are a lot of guys who deserve those performance bonuses. So, but but still, I don't disagree with either of those two. Mackenzie Burn, uh, Mackenzie Dern, right there, rare submission win, first knee bar, heel hook, leg submission in women's UFC history. So that probably deserves that. Fight of the night goes to Tim Elliott and Brandon Royval. Do you agree with all of those? None of those? One of those? Like, I'm going to guess that you do not agree with fight of the night. Not anything against Elliott and Royval because they made me look like a junior, like a genius. That fight was phenomenal. But if we're picking just one fight, and with all due respect to Dana White and the matchmakers, they got this one wrong, and I think Dana White knew they got this one wrong. Wow. Actually, you'll be surprised. I, I'm going to defend the uh, performance bonus uh, committee on this one. It, it was very awkward at the post-fight press conference. For anyone who didn't see it, Dana White almost sounded guilty or uh, disappointed <laughs> in himself and uh, and the people who picked the. He said it was. I think he said it was him, Sean Shelby, and uh, McMainer. Yeah, who decided? And he sounded because he when he came up and read the bonus, he actually asked the media. He's like, "Who do you guys think won the fight of the night?" And then and then he then he read out what uh, what the actual fight of the night winner was. And then he was kind of like, "Yeah." And then he was kind of like, "Oh yeah, also yeah, Corintillo, Carlisle, yeah." That yeah, was good. And he, it's like he knew the reaction was coming. So it was kind of like, well, how did you guys come to this conclusion in the first place? That said, uh, I'd have no problem with anyone saying that uh, Roy Val Elliott was a better fight. I mean, look, uh, Carlisle Quarantillo was a wild fight. Uh, definitely some good moments technically as well. Two talented guys. I think any fight where one guy uh, act, loses track of time in the fight and walks back to his corner and gets punched uh, almost in the back of the head. I think that can knock you down a notch from the fight of the night perch. So I'm okay with Rival and Elliot. That fight was awesome. Um, and it's a shame it couldn't go longer because I think Elliot might just cast himself out because since he was going, he was fighting at like 100 million percent for uh, for the, <laughs> the, the eight minutes or whatever that he was in there. So no, I'm fine with it. Dern's uh, submission was spectacular. And uh, Burns, I'm always in favor of uh, fighters who put on dominant decision wins, getting performance bonuses. I know, I know people like it to be submissions or knockouts, but... Sometimes a, a performance like that, a career best performance, has to be rewarded. So um, I was all for that. And, um, you know, you could have said the same for Kaylin Chukagian, unfortunately. I hope she gets some something too, as does, uh, again, all the other guys who got great finishes. Chris Gutierrez, uh, Roosevelt Roberts, just uh, Casey Kenny. It was a really, really good night for a lot of fighters. Yeah, I think uh, Spike Carlisle, I'm, I'm sorry, Billy Quarantillo won the fight. So it's Billy Quarantillo versus Spike Carlisle. And I like that fight so much because. One guy won, one guy lost, and it was a very close decision that could have gone either way. And I think if Spike won, I think more people probably would have been in agreement. I actually scored it for Billy Q, and not just because I picked him to win by decision uh, on our little topology page that we do, but um, that fight was awesome. And both guys, their stock completely rose. Like Billy Q, his stock is as high as it's ever been. And then Spike Carlisle, despite the loss, completely rose. I mean, unbelievable, maybe even more so. But, Mike, uh, Mike, it's it's classic pro wrestling booking, man. Like one <laughs> one guy goes over, the other guy gets over, brother. You know that's yes. how it goes, right? One guy gets to win, and then the other guy gets over. Uh, the second thing I want to mention is funny you mentioned your topology picks, Mike, because uh, why don't you tell people you had an excellent uh, you had an excellent night on topology picks. I'm not slandering anyone. I was terrible. Uh, I'll, I'll I'll share those. Well, people can see my predictions on MMAfighting.com. They're horrible. You had. An excellent night. That was marred only by two things. Uh, you picked uh, Burns. Uh, sorry, you picked Willie to win the main event. And Mike, what was the other unfortunate blemish on your picks, your topology selections? So I picked Woodley to win the main event. Not, And it was more of a strategic pick to do that because I felt like, you know, who's everybody else going to pick? And I thought the majority of people would pick Gilbert Burns. And I thought potentially we'd come down to the last one. But all day long, 
I said to myself, I picked Mackenzie Dern to win by first round submission. As we all did. And then I go and look at it and I was like, oh my God, I picked Hannah <laughs> Cyphers by first round submission. I was like, what? How does that happen? I was like, and you can tell, and you can tell by the how the fight ended in what round that there's no way I picked Hannah Cyphers in that fight because there's no way I was picking her to win by first round submission. And by the way, I actually was looking pretty good with the accidental pick until she didn't separate. Like she got taken down. I'm like, well, oh, she went over. in there. She, she went in right there. She was like, I'm, go I'm going in. I'm going to the ground. There it is. Oh, there, there it is. is. Look at that. There that it is. You again, but you should thank uh, Gilbert Burns for winning that main event and and uh, and you know ruining your Woodley pick because otherwise we would we would have never let you uh, hear the end of the of the Seifers thing. We, you know, you may have wanted to say, guys, you know that I meant to pick Durant, and we would be like, no, we never let, never let you get away with it. So as it is, nine of eleven, fantastic performance, and uh, you don't have to worry about would you have had a perfect card or not. It doesn't matter. That's true. Had some perfect picks too throughout, but the card was great. It delivered in a lot of ways. We we touched on some of the other performances, but let's sort of let, let's get down to the basement of the card, so to speak, from the curtain jerker. Maybe the first few fights. Chris Gutierrez, great performance. Another rare finish. I think it was the uh, the tenth fighter to get a leg kick TKO win. The eleventh overall, because I think Edson Barboza got it twice, so that makes it eleven overall. Yes. Casey Kenny looked fantastic. Getting a, a a submission win over a very tough Lewis Smolka on short notice. He was the last guy to hit the scales yesterday, was he not? Yeah, uh, I believe he was. He last? Uh, it was him or it was, I, I mean, I think he was. was yeah, last Kenny year. was the last correct. one. Yes, correct. And yes. then it was the the Roy Val fight, but Casey Kenny big win for him. Calzo Henry Cejudo, which I dug. It yeah, just was a, was a funny one. He Why likes not? to throw these names. Why not? Every time I've interviewed him, he throws out a name. It's just so wild, and I love it. Um, Casey Kenny say, looks good. What, what's sorry. next? I want to okay. say first about Chris Gutierrez, uh, Vince Morales. Yes, he was the recipient of that uh, TKO, uh, the leg kick TKO, and he later uh, tweeted out a picture of uh, Lieutenant Dan from uh, Forrest Gump oh, God. Uh, from the boat, saying, "This is me, me and my legs after the fight uh, at the UFC Apex." So, because a good sport, Vince Morales, uh, and, and a fun interview, I got to talk to. Um, Kenny, man, yeah, taking out Smoka. Smoka's a veteran and a fight finisher himself, so that's a huge win. Oh, please, that's not my. Oh no. <laughs> It's on MMAfighting.com. I, I can't hide anyway. But yeah. it, it looks it looks so much worse though when you just lay it out like that. Yeah, people they let me write my predictions for MMAfighting.com. So uh, I'm a glutton for punishment. Okay, I'm a glutton for punishment. I admit it. Uh, what's next for Casey Kenny? Uh, I mean, I think he's probably aiming a little too high going for not not just Cejudo, but going for like a top five opponent. Uh, and I'm not, I'm not saying he can't. He's not competitive enough to be able to do that. But um, that's probably a bridge too far for him right now. Um, especially since, you know, he, he lost his last fight, right, to uh, Mirab, right? Mirab yep. uh, Devalishvili. Uh, I'm going to take a quick glance. Sorry, I'm, 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 uh, I'm buying myself time as I take a quick load up my, my own little personal rankings here. This is the uh, definitive rankings. Not the UFC rankings, people. you got to have your own rankings, okay? There's too much, too much, too much politics. Too much politics. Uh, Song Yadong? Mm, that's interesting. Mm. Test his luck, right, Mister? As uh, Cody, as Cody Stamen calls him, the luckiest man uh, in in uh, in the <laughs> UFC. I just—that's the first name that just popped up to me. I like that. Maybe uh, I, I was gonna say Jimmy Rivera, but Jimmy Rivera's on a losing streak. Uh, he he is still highly ranked, so I think if Kenny would want that fight, he could probably get it. I just don't know how much that would benefit Kenny really at this point. Um, yeah, I see a lot of veteran names ahead of him, but I do like the song. Yodal. I do like the idea of a song. Yodal. Maybe a Ricky Simone. 
Uh, oh, like that. that's so, a good one. Yeah, there's, some, there's a lot of good, a lot of good hungry bantamweights, like just outside the top ten in that next tier, like eleven to twenty. A lot of good hungry guys. I'll tell you what fight I want to see in the future, and it may not happen right now, but I would like to see it. I have a feeling these two guys will co- will collide at some point. I want to see Casey Kenny versus Montel Jackson at some point. Oh, yes, that Montel is going to be bananas. Yeah, that will be a bananas fight. But man, it's very hard to match up two prospects like that this quickly. But I'm in. I'm all in on that fight. If they even if they did it now, and I'm sure Casey Kenny because he wants to fight so frequently and stay as active as possible. He would probably take that fight at this point. He doesn't. He doesn't care. He'll fight anyone. And He'll Chris Gutierrez, good win. I liked his callouts as well. Uh, Andre Ewell, I knew he was going to say because of the Jonathan Martinez fight. But uh, Miles Johns is a fun one too. Which yes. one do you prefer if you had the choice? Uh, I like Miles Johns. I mean, I just like Miles Johns in general. But yeah, I like the idea of a, a, a matchup with him and uh, uh, and Roy Val. So um, yeah, I like I like that. Uh, no, I like that one a lot. Um. Sorry, I want to skip ahead here. Well, we'll talk about it. We'll talk about him later. So I guess I shouldn't skip ahead. But I, I did want to talk about. Just remind remind me to talk about Gabe Green before we before we sure. end the show. But I'm sorry. Let's 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 keep going in order, as it were. Okay, no, let's go. Let's talk Gabe Green right now. You go ahead. Lead, lead the way, my friend. Uh, Gabe Green clearly lost a dis- unanimous decision to uh, Daniel Rodriguez. Daniel Rodriguez, by the way, looking great so far. He he uh, he beat Tim Means by submission in his debut. That was awesome. Uh, and now, um, yes, he got you know a short notice opponent, but that can be a very dangerous thing. Uh, I know it's a guy he's familiar with. They know each other from the the California regional scene. But even then, it's like you just never know what's gonna happen. You, you have you you go from fighting a guy in Kevin Holland who's making a name for himself to uh, a guy in Gabe Green who's going to make his name off you if he beats you. He comes out of nowhere, less than one week's notice. Uh, what a Cinderella story if he beats you. You know, everyone expects you to win. It's, it's not always easy to um, dominate under those those circumstances. But Rodriguez was great, very accurate striking. But I love Gabe Green's attitude. This is a guy, again, coming in on, uh, I believe, four days notice and just saying, I'm, I'm just going to go in. I'm going to go. If I get knocked out, I get knocked out. Because But he was going in. He was throwing, um, taking a lot of damage. But uh, you got to love that attitude. There's a lot of people in this card who I think are going to be favorites for Dana White in the future. We mentioned Spark Carlisle. Uh, Casey Kenny, I think, is going to be one of those guys. Gilbert Burns already is. Uh, and I think Gabe Green, I don't know how long his UFC career is going to last with that style. But I think it's going to be a lot of fun uh, once he gets to drop down back down to 155. First decision win since his amateur day, de- or first decision in general. He didn't win the fight, but first decision in general since his amateur debut, which is crazy. But that the one thing he hated about decisions was it was a close decision his first fight. So he hated the fact that he wasn't sure if his hand was going to get raised or not. But this one, it was kind of a no-doubter. He, he, I'm sure he knew that he didn't win. But Admiral Performance, jumping up a weight class. He has fights at 170 in his career, but he's mostly a 55-er. He's fought at 60, maybe 65. But you could tell like he was outsized in a big way to Daniel. But uh, like I said on Twitter, like the good old – like good old JR says, tougher than a $2 steak. Uh, just my two cents. Roberts, Hill, and Kenny looked awesome. Yes, Roosevelt Roberts. He looked phenomenal. He looked fantastic against Brock Weaver. He was a huge favorite, and he delivered a performance like he was a, one of the biggest favorites on the card. This guy's got a great future. I think he learned a ton from that Vince Pichel fight. Yes. Because it was kind of like a deja vu fight all over again with, with Yakovlev in Moscow. But, man, he needed to go out there and, and take on a guy – who missed weight. He was not too happy about that. The Twitter account thing, obviously that wasn't him. We've cleared that up at this point, but he needed to go out there and have that performance. He delivered in a big way. I mean, this guy's got, got a very bright future ahead of him. Does he not? 
He's an exciting prospect, man. I mean, you just look at him. He's got great measurements. You know, just, if you're just talking physical measurements, tall guy, good range. See, seems to really know how to use it well. This is something I talked about in my prediction for this fight was we see guys with with uh, great physical gifts not always figure out how to use them. And he's very early on showing that uh, he knows how to use that jab. Um, he knows how to use his 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 height and his reach. Um, and again, it takes some guys a lot older than him. I think he's 27. There's a lot of guys that a lot more have been around longer than him that never figure that out. So he looked great. Um, I, I I like I love what you said about the Vince Pachel thing and the Jakob Lev fight because I think losing to Pachel that's one of those he's going to look back on that for the rest of his career as, as when things really turned around for him. Um, because I remember uh, there's a lot of hype around him going into that fight, and I actually picked Pachel because I think Pachel's the kind of guy who takes pride in in fighting prospects, and he certainly did in that fight, and he and he really you know he really taught uh, Roberts a thing or two, so Roberts learned from that, beat Yakovlev, um, and now really just i would say just dominated brock weaver which is what he should do based on what we've seen i think in his last two or three fights so huge step up performance from him on a espn main card uh definitely one to watch really really liked uh what we saw from roberts tonight uh just my two cents that smaller cage was word up they were oh. getting after it tonight no I escape I, I, yeah i mean i i liked it it was great it was like it, it was literally like watching contender series fights like obviously not in, from from skill level perceptions, but there's a reason why we love Contender Series so much. I mean, the fighters are great and the fights are always delivering on that show, but big reason is because of the small cage, and we got to see it in action tonight from Contender Series versus Contender Series matchups to the main event itself. I dug it. I think the UFC should do this much more, and they're going to be the apex for a while anyway, so we're going to see a lot more of this. It was perfect for guys, and I know I'm about to name a couple guys who lost, but guys like Tim Elliott and Gabe Green, who just want to get in their opponents' faces and be, stay there the whole fight. It was easy. They took like two steps forward. Boom, you're engaged. You're in the pocket. Uh, there was, there's really, and and that's what made some really, really, really fun fights. Um, again, really, there wasn't, there wasn't. I know people are going to rag on the the, the heavyweight co-main event. There, there actually was quite a bit of output, I thought, uh, from both guys for the most part, at least when we're talking about heavyweights. Uh, Caitlin Chukagian, look, uh, we haven't talked about her much, but man, there and Tanina Shevchenko, you know, she's a great kickboxer. Uh, range fighting was really just not an option, uh, especially not the way Chukagian approached this fight. She just walked her down, got got a hold of her, took took her down, used her wrestling brilliantly. Um, could that have happened in the bigger cage? Probably, but it would it would have been harder to do. And uh, Chukagian made the most of that small cage and just dominated dominated that fight. Another fighter that stuck out in a lot of people's minds before we wrap this up: Jamal Hill had a great mm -hmm. win over Clinton Abreu. And uh, here's my here's my thought on the next step, okay, for uh, for Jamal Hill. I want to see Jamal Hill versus Ed Herman. That's what I want to see. Wow. Uh, I did not see that coming. Uh, yes, Ed Herman, you know, longtime middleweight, uh, has sort of prolonged his career by moving up to 205. Uh, does, I guess, would fit the the category of gatekeeper, I suppose, though. Uh, He's not... got two wins in a row, though. He does. I'm, I'm looking at it now, and I'm just, you had to remind me. <laughs> I'd still, I think, would like to see Jamal face someone a little bit lower down the rankings. Uh, I'm just taking a glance at some of the names here. Uh, Kennedy uh, and Zichukwu, I think, would be interesting. Uh, Alexa Kamer. Uh, da, da On Jung, I think, would be, if uh, anyone remembers him. He's also 2-0 uh, in the UFC so far. So, uh, again, I'm just, I have some very raw rankings here. So I'm not really thinking about style matchup, or I'm just looking at the win streaks and who's kind of in the in the range. But, um Ed Herman. I could see that fight being made, though. 
if we're talking about fights that make sense from a matchmaker standpoint, yeah, I, I, I could see that kind of test where he is uh, as a prospect because he, he took a big leap, I think, from his first fight uh, to this one and really did a good job against uh, Abreu. So, um, yeah, I don't know if I'm as high on him as as I am on like a Roosevelt Roberts, but there's no arguing with 8-0 and, uh, and a great, uh, great finish tonight, man. That knee to the body. I mean, he was tuning him up already, but that knee to the body was scary. Like when that hit, yeah. you know, with the, with no one in the crowd, you're like, that had to be a rib going or something. Like that was that was rough. Uh, we're gonna just we'll, we'll lightning round some questions here if we have them. Uh, Joseph Boza said Antonina didn't really look like herself without Valentina in her corner. Uh, we'll answer that question after. Uh, I want to get your thoughts on that because honestly, I'm, I'm sure it had some effect, maybe with the approach on the fight, but I don't think that fight goes any differently. If we're being honest, like I just the fact that Antonia Shevchenko was the favorite tonight was just crazy. Like people must have cleaned up in a big way at the betting window because how I mean, I understand she came off a, a finish loss to Valentina. But I mean, from the rocks, like this is too, this is too much too soon, is it not? I mean, Roxanne to Caitlin Chukagian. I mean, come on. Like this is this is bad matchmaking. Like Roy Valen Elliott, tremendous matchmaking. Shevchenko versus Chukagian. Terrible match. <laughs> I read on uh, Twitter that's that someone said she said uh, that she was asked about the odds and that she said maybe they thought oh, it was my sister. So even Antonina apparently <laughs> was uh, surprised. Again, I saw this on Twitter, so I'm not sure I, the veracity of this uh, this quote. But uh, apparently, at least even she was somewhat surprised by um, by uh, how the odds makers had picked her. Uh, yeah, I don't know if it goes differently with uh, Valentina in the corner. I'm sure it'd be more. Um, a little bit uh, of a less unpleasant experience, you know, maybe she could have helped her out of some of those trouble spots. But no, as we said, a Chikagian, look, she's a number two contender for a reason. She is a very good fighter. And also that small cage, there was just no escaping uh, whatever with the game plan that Chikagian's team had come up with for tonight. Small cage, no way to get away from that. As you can see there, any final questions before we all get some sleep? Um, <laughs> well, we just see. saw that Dana White Yeah, let's, uh, okay. Can you bring, can you bring the Dana White, John Jones question up, Casey, if you don't mind? I just want to see it. All right, Jeffrey Ortega. Alex, I'm going to throw you the question because I don't want to answer this right now. I will, but who's lying, John Jones or Dana White? Because we've seen this go on for three, four days now, okay? Yesterday, Dana White had a much different approach to this John Jones situation than he did tonight. Tonight, he said that John Jones and Hunter Campbell had a not just a conversation, but they had a very good conversation. And things, I don't know if they were worked out or not, but it was a very good conversation, much different direction than it was before. So do you believe John Jones, when he says what he says, that he didn't ask for Deontay Wilder money? Or do you believe Dana White when he says that he did ask for Deontay Wilder money? Okay, well, I'm glad that this does not appear to be a binary question, because uh, they're both lying. That Obviously, neither of them is <laughs> telling the full... To. Neither of them is telling the full truth. What are we doing here? Are we taking social media quotes as truth or anything that Dana White says as truth? Come on now. Uh, Dana White said today, like, what do I have to gain from lying? I was like, you have a lot to gain from lying. You've lied before and you've gained from it and you could lie again and gain from it in the future. Um, let's let's not be naive here. Okay. Of, of course, uh, it's not to say everything they're saying is a lie, by the way. The, the truth is clearly somewhere in between. But I don't know if I believe um, John Jones saying that he never threw out a number. I think that's what he said. It, it never got to the point of negotiation, some to that effect. Like, uh, like you know, uh, so he said, I don't believe that. I'm, I'm sure he mentioned something. Danny White certainly cannot be believed. Uh, he was asked point blank today, I believe, by Oscar Willis that uh, – are you going to show those text messages? And he's like, why should I? What do I have to gain from showing the text messages? And I was like, well, why would you even bring them up? Why would you? Why, how can you bring them up to reinforce your opinion 
and then say, oh, but I'm not going to show them to you. Uh, so I'm not saying he has to show it. I'm just saying as long as he doesn't, we are allowed to question uh, his claims. So both guys are lying to some degree. Both guys are telling the truth to some degree. I know that sounds like I'm on the fence, but really I'm just telling you guys to be smart and just use your logic as far as figuring out uh, uh, what is fact that these guys are bringing up and what is fiction. Um, it's it's not uh, it's not that hard to sort. So we have like conflicting arguments here. Joseph Boza says um, Dane is lying. Uh, Edgy Bra. I believe it was that so John Jones is lying. Edgy bra. There you Edgy go. Edgy bra. Edgy bra. Um, you guys are both right. You. I will say, I'll say I believe Dana more today. Okay. He didn't throw out any numbers. He said Deontay Wilder money. And if you go back and do your research, you know that Deontay, you know, contractually was scheduled to make 30 million or so dollars for his last fight. Dana White tonight said that John Jones said, I don't know, 15, 20 million, okay? 15 million, I don't think is that unreasonable for a guy like John Jones. He's probably making five, at least five for every fight when it comes down to it. Once you like dot the I's and cross the T's and throw that, you know, the, you know, the little under the table stuff, it's probably close to five with the, with the pay-per-view points and all that stuff. I would say that. But for a fight like this, which would do really well, I think, I think, just even the casual fans would be into this because France Ngannou is such a killer and they all know who John Jones is. I don't think 15 is that unreasonable. I don't. And our own Mike Chiapetta wrote a great column about this today, which you can find on MMAfighting.com. But just give him 15, if he wants 15 million, give him the 15 million for Christ's sake. I mean, come on. Uh, look, uh, and, and look at even Nganu. Nganu, I think they said made a hundred and thirty thousand uh, guaranteed. I think for his last fight, uh, and I don't know, uh, maybe there's a plus one thirty win bonus, but even less than three hundred thousand dollars for the excitement that someone like Francis Nganu brings to the cage for the streak he's on, um, the name that he that he's kind of made for himself. That's absurd. That's absurdly low. And I think um, I'm not going to pretend I, I know the exact uh, financial details of, of the UFC, but I think people will be shocked. If they ever found out, you know, how much money the UFC makes. And by the way, the UFC is pretty big on touting its own success when it when it wants to, when it's convenient to do so. Uh, so think about that and how much like it would not destroy them to compensate someone like John Jones. Uh, like you said, what what, you, what he's asking, 15 million, even like a te- even 10 million, because um, if they can afford to pay Conor McGregor uh, that much, I, I can't remember, you know, allegedly he made what, uh, 30 million or something for a fight. That's what Conor McGregor said. Um you can you can afford to pay John Jones that much. I'm not saying he's a McGregor level draw, but if he's the pound for pound best fighter and someone who has proven he can draw against certain opponents in the past, and I think Ngannou would be one of them, uh, then yeah, 15 million is not unreasonable. So, like I said, not everyone's telling the truth, but there is truth in some of the statements that these guys are making. Yeah, throwing Ngannou seven figures, you know, a million bucks, even a million, even a million's a big step up for him. That's still he. I'm sure he ain't turning down a million. John Jones has earned this at this point. I don't have a problem with 15 million. I know we're in tough times, but we're still trying to keep this train moving. And that is the biggest fight you can make right now. Like, honestly, like there's other big fights out there. Like Adesanya versus Cost is a fun, is, is a big fight, right? And then Usman versus Mazadal is a big fight. But I think Jones and Ghana is bigger than both of those fights. Like, uh, I think there's more intrigue th- with that fight than the other two. And it's not even close. And look, you bring out Usman Masvidal. Uh, you know, now I don't know. I think it's Masvidal that keeps saying that Usman has priced himself out of the fight. I'm just saying, people look into this. If you can, <laughs> like, you guys should know. I'm <laughs> sorry. Yeah, you're right. Sorry, shout out, Eddie Bravo. Uh, I'm saying, people, you got to realize, like, and I've been saying this probably in a bunch of other shows we've done for MMA fighting that, like, 
if you want fights to happen, you guys have got to support this idea that fighters need to make more. I, I know when, in general with athletes, sometimes people think athletes get paid too much, but you can't have it both ways. You can't want every everything you want, like every fight to happen, and also say, well, but I also don't care what fighters get paid. The reason these fights aren't happening, Usman, I don't know how much he's asking for, but he's very much in the right to ask for a certain amount of money and ask for more money um, to fight someone like Masvidal. And Masvidal should be asking for more money too. He shouldn't be blaming Usman for wanting more money. He should be working together so they can make more money. But that's a that's a very far bridge uh, and uh, another discussion entirely. Can you imagine if the UFC came out on Tuesday and said that John Jones and Francis Ngannou was going to headline UFC 250 on five days' notice? Like this thing would just <laughs> explode. <laughs> I mean, it would be the biggest thing ever. It'd be uh, the biggest thing ever. And you know what? Wouldn't be surprising at all. Because why? Because MMA. MMA. Yeah. Nothing's, nothing is surprising anymore. And if anything, it's the old joke. When Dana White says something isn't going to happen, it's probably going to happen at some point. So, yeah. but uh, I don't know. I, so, I last thing, love, yeah. so last thing I'm going to ask you, because I asked Jose this question. And I want to get your thoughts on it before we wrap things up. Within 90 days from right now, John Jones versus Francis Ngannou will be at least booked. Oh, is it true or false? I'm asking you, do you, th- do you think within 90 days from right now, Jones versus Ngannou will have either happened or at least be booked for a future card? That is a good question. That is a good question. Because I'm an optimist, Mike. I am the eternal <laughs> optimist. And I really want to see this fight. I've, I've seen some people saying like this fight popped up out of nowhere. And it's like, no, the, this kind of came up. I believe as recently as last year when, you know, Jones was again making overtures towards possibly moving to heavyweight. Uh, and Ganu was certainly one of the names that people were like, man, it'd be cool to see Jones fighting Ganu. You know, it's like that's that's something on paper I'd love to see. So this isn't new. I mean, the the mutual discussion between them uh, is, is, I guess, somewhat fresh. But the idea isn't new. This is this has been brought up before. Uh, gosh, I want to be optimistic. But no, Mike, I don't I don't think within 90 days we see the fight booked, unfortunately. I think there's a there's a lot of. Um, a lot of very real this is the optimistic part of me that this is a lot of very real talk about negotiations and that it's making more people aware of um why why these big fights you know don't always happen so i think for the good of the sport it's not going to happen and uh people will you know it'll make people think about why it didn't uh or i hope so anyway so that's the silver lining to it there you go i saw an and remember on there dot dot dots but not really sure if there's anything before or after that, but I think we're uh... cryptic. Oh, cryptic from our own. Uh... <laughs> Don't forget chest day, everybody, with with Sage Northcott just looking, <laughs> looking all sorts of shredded right now. Sage just, Northcott just making me bad. feel. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, I mean that's what I look like pretty much anyway. So uh, Sage is re- really representing for both of us. Yes. Yeah. Me too, obviously. Um, I think we're I think we're done here. I think we've 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 hit this card pretty hard. What a great We've show. Done, done a great job. And uh, shout out to all you guys for, for all the questions and stuff. Love when that happens. We could chime in and do all this crazy stuff. But uh, a lot happened tonight from start to finish. Great great performances by all. I would clap louder, but my kid is asleep. And if I wake him up, my wife will be really pissed at me. So uh, for Alex K. Lee, I am Mike Heck. Thank you guys all so much for watching all this post-fight coverage and all the coverage for UFC on ESPN 9 throughout the week. Next week, it's pay-per-view time, which means things are going to get even bigger. June 6th, next Saturday night, Amanda Nunes versus Felicia Spencer is the main event. And maybe, if my idea comes to fruition, John Jones versus Fred Sangano. 
<laughs> on less than one week's notice. Promotional <laughs> malpractice, sir. Promotional malpractice. But yes, back at the UFC Apex. This, this, the new normal, my friends, UFC Apex. It's a pretty good card. That made, They put, posted the graphic. It's, it's a great card. The main event. Listen, say what you want about the main event. The rest of the card looks really good. It looks really good. Sterling versus uh, Sanhagen. Woo! That fight is too good. That fight is too good. And the last thing I want to say is the tweet of the night belongs to Marlon Marais for calling out Dominic Cruz. That fight I need injected into my body, and I've needed it for like three or four years right now. That is the fight to make. There should be no hesitation. That fight needs to be booked ASAP. But for Alex Kaylee, I am Mike Heck. Thank you all so much. We are out of here. What the heck coming back on Thursday? we got some other stuff in the works as well. But thank you all for tuning in. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network.